I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. There are some big questions in the world today, and people want answers. Psychology Today magazine listed some of the biggest questions humanity is asking. This is a screenshot from their website this week. Take a look at it on the screen. The big question, why are we here? Does life have meaning? Why do you exist? Are purposeless people happier? Who decides what our purpose is? Even the little explanations under these articles shows us that man's attempt to answer these questions are pretty hopeless. But God thought it important that we have the answers to these questions. This morning we're going to examine three verses in Scripture that will answer these and other of the biggest questions for humanity. Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be focused on the sixth day and the account of God's creation of humans. But before we look at the sixth day, let's remind ourselves of what happened in the first five days. In Genesis 1-1, we learn that God was before creation. He, He has no beginning. And this fact is impossible for finite creatures to fully comprehend. But just because we can't understand it doesn't mean it's untrue. However, it is easy to understand that there was a cause for the existence of all we see. I mean, clearly something did happen, right? Even a child can understand that something doesn't come from nothing. God knew that our origin would be important for us to know. So he told Moses, and Moses wrote it down. God was the only one there. The only witness. Everyone else is just theorizing. God tells us where everything came from, and that's the starting point of Scripture. In the beginning, God created. And Genesis 1 records the order of creation. Day 1, God said, let there be light, and created light, and separated the light from the darkness. Then day 2, God said, let there be, and created the firmament, and separated the water above and below, and it was good. Day three, God said, let the waters be gathered in one place, causing dry land to appear. And God caused the the earth to bring forth vegetation, and it was good. Day four, God said, let there be lights in the heavens to divide the day from the night. 
There's a greater light and a lesser light, and this allowed for day, night, years, and seasons, and he created the stars. Day five, God said, let the earth bring forth. Uh, created animals and creatures in the sea and, and, and in the sky, fish and birds. And that, begin, that brings us to the beginning of the sixth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth and created all the land animals. By the sixth day, God had created everything except humans. God saved the best for last. The crowning point of creation is human life. Everything up to this point was to support this last act of creation. Everything placed in order. And now on the sixth day, everything was in place for the pièce de résistance. And we get the answer to the question, why are we here? And that's our first point. The plan of God. Triune God planned to make you. Look at the beginning of verse 126. Then God said, let us make man. Let's just stop right there. Seven times up to this point, God said, let there be. And it was done in verse 3 and 6, 9, 11, 14, 20, and 24. Let there be, let there be, let there be. In very impersonal terms, God is creating. But here the pattern changes. You see that? God said, let us make man. First, we have to consider who is the us here. Bible scholars understand that uh, this is a clear indication of the Trinity, which is a foundational and defining doctrine of Christianity. And everywhere up to here where it said God, that, the word there in Hebrew is Elohim. And Elohim is a plural noun. Over and over, a plural we wouldn't expect the, the readers, um, the original readers, to fully comprehend the triune God from Genesis chapter 1. And we won't see the fullness of the Trinity until we get to the New Testament. B.B. Warfield, the great Princeton theologian, once wrote, I have this for, for you on the screen, The times were not ripe for the revelation of the Trinity and the unity of the Godhead until the fullness of time had come for God to send forth His Son, unto redemption, and his spirit unto sanctification. But in the New Testament, we know that creation was through Jesus, right? John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he, that's Jesus, was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus was present. Jesus made it. And verse 26 is a, is a conversation in the triune Godhead. Let us make man. Unlike every other created thing, the triune God deliberated. Isn't that interesting? Early church father Gregory of Nyssa said this. Take a look at the screen. The same language was not used for the creation of other things. The command was simple. When light was created, God said, let there be light. Heaven was also made without deliberation. For humans, there was deliberation. He did not say as he did when creating other things, let there be a human. See how worthy you are. 
Your origins are not in an an imperative. Instead, God deliberated about the best way to bring to life a creation worthy of honor. Isn't that interesting? Worthy of honor. John MacArthur agrees when he said this, this is another quote on the screen, when God comes to the creation of the human race, he doesn't employ the impersonal fiat terminology, let there be. But he uses languages that reveals he is speaking within himself. Let us, let us make man in our own image. You know what he's letting us in on? He's letting us in on a Trinitarian plan. He's in communion with himself about this most important of all creatures. You see, God wasn't lonely and desired for humans for companionship. The triune Godhead was in in loving relationship for eternity. He also didn't need our help, much as we might like to think we're helping. He deliberated and chose as His supreme creation to make humanity. So what's, what's the honor? What's, what's the plan for communion with Himself? God the Father made you for His Son. God perfectly loved the Son, and He planned to show His love in a very surprising way. God the Father would get a bride for His Son. By bride, he means a redeemed humanity who would love, honor, cherish, and worship his son forever. God's plan was to bring a redeemed humanity up into relationship within the Trinity, with the Trinity in heaven. And they would live with him together forever. And this is all throughout Scripture, but... Listen to Isaiah 54, 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. God had you in mind from eternity past. Before there was time, before there were suns or moons or planets. God planned to make you and draw you and bring you into relationship with himself. Psalm 139 says that God saw your unformed substance and wrote the the days of the pages of the book of, of your life. Before you were anything, God planned for you. And he planned to make you for himself. How different is this truth from the hopelessness and theory that the world says humanity is a meaningless accident? A blob of material zapped into life with no purpose or thought and no reason for living and nothingness after. How hopeless. See, the truth is, you are not an accident. You were planned and designed that God would love you 
and cherish you so much that he would condescend from heaven and die on a cross to save you for himself. To bring his bride to him and wash her and cleanse her for himself. Is, is that not beautiful? It's, it's gorgeous. This is God's plan for all humanity. The word man here in verse 26 is the Hebrew word Adam, 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 which is not just a name or an indication of gender, but a description. Adam means person, human. We see that Adam is male and female. Skip down to verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, I'm going to get, not going to get way sidetracked here, but I am going to make a note. <laughs> um, scripture is clear here. God made humans with two sexes, male and female, and he made them and formed them perfectly to be what they are. And there's no confusion in this. All the confusion comes as a result of sin, which is in Genesis 3. See how, how good seminary is doing teaching me one and two come before three. <laughs> Triune God planned from eternity to perfectly design them without any mistake. He created them male and female. So we see this answer to the big question, why are we here? Because triune God in eternity, in eternal loving relationship, plan, plan to crown creation with humanity. And those to come to him with, in faith are his bride that he loves and will love forever. Listen to this. Listen to me here. This is, this is great. Triune God loved so much that he made more to love. That's why you're here. We're here because of the love of God. Isn't that an awesome reason to be made? So let's consider some more hard questions. Does life have meaning? Why do I exist? The answer is point number two. The pattern of God. God patterned you after himself. Look again at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let's stop there. We're, we're working our way through. Image is an incredibly important theme in the Bible. And we see image repeated three times in two verses here. God patterned humankind in his image that he would be known and shown throughout creation. So what does image mean here? The Launida lexicon de defines the Hebrew word for image is that which is a pattern, a model, an example for something. God created humanity perfectly as an example of him for the world. And this could be understood as like a representative of him. Likeness, the word likeness in this verse helps us to understand image. Humanity is similar to God, but not God. 
like him, but not him. And since God doesn't have a body, okay, image is not what God looks like, okay, but like him in what he does. The major emphasis here is on function, functioning, representing God. Representing God in creation by what we do and our motives for doing it. Because God's motives are perfect. These attributes are different than anything else that God created. Henry Morris explained it like this in his commentary on Genesis. There can be little doubt that the image of God in which man was created must entail those aspects of human nature which are not shared by animals. Attributes such as moral consciousness, the ability to think abstractly, an understanding of beauty and emotion, and above all, the capacity for worshiping and loving God. This eternal and divine dimension of man's being must be the essence of what is involved in the likeness of God. These are the functions that we as imagers live to show God to the world. We love and worship God and we share our love for Him throughout the whole earth. Always motivated by the desire that He be glorified. In ancient times, when a king would conquer a new territory, he would leave statues in that territory so that everybody in the territory would know who the king is. See, there's a statue there. Okay? That's our function as imagers, as image bearers, to, to show and declare and share who the true king is. Who's the king? Now, sin has distorted that image of God in humanity, but it has not erased it. And as redeemed believers, we are being sanctified, slowly transformed more into the image of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. This is why you exist. This is the meaning of human life. To image God and to represent Him in the world. Not to be God, but to point to Him in how you live. To, to love others like Him. To serve like Him. To tell of Him. And to sacrifice like Him. Living your entire life in such a way that people see and hear the truth of who Jesus is. The world says, serve yourself. Get notoriety. Get power. Be looked up to. Get all you can for yourself. Use and abuse if you must. They come out on top. But when we sin and we act like the world, we are left unfulfilled and empty. Why? Because that's not what we're made for. Chasing those things. It's not what we're made for. I explain this like, like using a hammer to cut down a tree. Okay? 
It won't cut down the tree, and it destroys the hammer. That's what living outside of your design is is like. You're not made for that. This is us in our unredeemed selves. Searching to magnify ourselves and satisfy ourselves when our greatest joy is found in magnifying Jesus. And this is a joy that lasts and a peace that surpasses understanding. Loving and belonging to Jesus. Directing our whole lives that he be known and shown. This is living in the image of Jesus, isn't it? Living for him. Living for God. Colossians 1.15 says of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. So the answer to what is the meaning of life, why do you exist, God made you into the image of Christ. That you would be in His likeness. That He would be shown and known. That we represent Him. Sharing the hope that we have in Him in a lost and broken world. Following Jesus that the world may come to know Him is living in the image of God. And this leads us to the last of the big questions. What's our purpose? Who decides what our purpose is? Our last point answers these questions. The purpose of God. God's purpose for you is that His kingdom will come. Look again at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let them have dominion. Dominion is rule. Subduing or managing. Governing an entity or a people with authority. God made male and female as co-regents. Co-regents is is serving the king while the king's not present. That's what a regent is. Exercising authority over creation. And you might remember how Jesus taught that we are stewards, right? Right? He, uh, he talked about stewardships in Matthew 25. God has given all things of this earth into our hands to manage them for His kingdom to grow and to prosper. God says, have dominion over the fish and birds and livestock and every creeping thing. This kind of reminds us of this order of creation, right? He made all these things. All these resources are under our dominion. And we are to be stewards of these resources. Not to abuse and to destroy, but to manage them for the common good that He be known. And that He be glorified. We're designed to be managers of creation. Remembering that we're not the owner. It doesn't belong to us. He's the King. And to exercise God's dominion for God's kingdom purposes. The things that God's given you are given for His purposes. After this discussion of the Godhead in verse 26, God acts. 
Look at verses 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God's image is shown by unity in plurality. In these two genders, together they are humanity. Neither one better or more important, living in unity. Together with God, like a threefold cord, man and woman in unity image the triune God. And God said, be fruitful and multiply. And we know from Scripture that God's design was that a man and woman be together in covenant relationship in marriage. And through that relationship, image him by creating more life. Isn't that that cool? God made his image to be creators of his image. Together with God, like a threefold cord, man and woman in unity image this triune God. For believers, childbirth is an act of worship, sharing in the very work of God, growing his kingdom on earth. Sally Lloyd-Jones in the story, the Jesus Storybook Bible, we have that in our library, a bookstore. God's kingdom is wherever God is king. It's wherever God's in charge. It's where he fills your heart up with his forever happiness. And you stop running away from him and you love him. Filling their earth with his image is not simply reproduction, but it includes growing the kingdom of God in the hearts of others. This is the purpose of our lives, living to further God's dominion, growing his kingdom in the hearts of others. Our God-given purpose requires action. We don't just hear the truth but we live and speak that truth. And there's an order to this growing dominion of the kingdom of God in our lives. It begins in our own hearts, clearly, and then in our marriages, and with our children, and with our friends, and our neighbors. See? The simple truth is, Graham and I talked about this this last week, The simple truth is, if you don't seek that God's kingdom and dominion grow in your own heart and home, then you certainly won't reach the whole world for it. Action engages the world for Christ, and it begins in our homes. Now, engaging a broken and sin-stained world is certain to encounter resistance, right? And God included here the command to subdue. Notice that? Interesting. Subdue. This term suggests putting down opposition. And we're perhaps used in anticipation of the conflict with evil that's coming in in chapter 3. As we know in chapter 3, Genesis 3, sin will enter God's creation. And humanity will desire to be in the place of God 
rather than living for God's glory and dominion, and they would seek to glorify themselves and live in their, only, uh, their own tiny little kingdom of self. See, sin is the source of the confusion. Sin is the, the twisting of God's perfect creation to turn from living to be, that He be known and shown throughout the earth. In our sin, we're broken and lost and confused and without direction. Therefore, the world is asking, why are we here? Does life have meaning? Why do I exist? What's my purpose? Trying to answer these big questions apart from God is futile. Because God's design and plan for us is centered in Him. And we take Him out. You don't have anything. He planned that we would be in relationship with Him. That the pattern of our lives would be of imaging Him. And the purpose of our lives to engaging the world to grow His kingdom. Clearly removing God's plan, pattern, and purposes. These answers are unanswerable. Ten minutes of watching the news makes it clear that our lives apart from God's purposes is evil and joyless. And sin surrounds and affects us all. God commanded, subdue it. We ask, how, Lord? I want to turn your attention to an important but easy-to-pass-up act of God in this passage. God blessed them. What does God's blessing mean? Dr. James Allman, one of my Old Testament history professors, defines God's blessing as this. Take a look at the screen. God confers upon the object of His blessing all things necessary for life and service. God blesses for God's given service, for His purposes. He provides everything His creation needs to live and accomplish what He wants to accomplish. And God will accomplish His plan through His imagers, patterned after Him by empowering them for His purposes. You see, God doesn't command it in a, that it happen and then abandon us to it. Quite the contrary, he knows that we cannot do it without him. Over and over throughout Scripture, we see man, mankind failing to follow his plan and purposes. But as we discussed, God the Father sent God the Son to redeem us. And God the Spirit fills and empowers those who he is forming into his image for his purposes. And that brings joy. To be more like the one who made us. To, to be more like the one we love, to be like him, is joy and peace. Psychology Today asked, are purposeless people happier? And I would say, just look around. Just look around at the world with no relationship to Christ and no purpose. And they struggle to gain purpose from from worldly things, and have no lasting peace or joy. 
And that's why psychology today is attempting to address these questions. The truth is that sin has wrecked us all. But God provided a way through the person and work of Jesus Christ. God sent his son to live a perfect life. Perfectly imaging the father to show the world who he is. He laid his life down and he died on a cross to pay the price for our sin. By his sacrifice, he defeated sin and death. And by placing our faith alone in Christ alone, he fills you with his spirit. He gives you a new heart and a new life. Growing more and more into his image, being more and more like him. And then one day we'll be with him forever. His perfect bride brought to him to be with him forever. I ask you, won't you please turn from the hopelessness the world offers? Repent from your sin and place your faith on the one who created you, the one who made you, the one who has a plan and a purpose for your life. Bring you to himself. This has been God's plan and purpose all along. Let's pray.